The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Oh, nice one. That was a can port. <laughs> Squeeze that can. A little crush for you there, John. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hey, everybody. It's Welcome to the Winemakers. I'm John Myers with Brian Casey, Bart Hansen, and Anna Britton. And you are Executive Director at Napa Green and also a brand. Not It's not a brand new event. It's the second time around for Napa Rise. Yep, we're truly insane over at Napa Green, and so we're doing our second <laughs> Climate and Wine Symposium in 10 months. So we did this for the first time last year, and we had uh, it started as Thrives. I won't bore you with the story. It's returning as Rise. Uh, but we had over 60 speakers and over 40 sponsors and over 600 guests last year, and we think it's going to be even bigger this year. Wow. Well, thanks for coming over on a rainy morning. Yeah, Spe- thank speaking you of climate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think the cool thing about your event that I noticed from last year is that you're not trying to have it all in like one week. Um, it, it allows people to not have to give up their work of week, uh, their yeah. wor- week of working right. in order to attend everything. So um, I know that works better for me. Yeah. So that's why I'm looking forward to it. A little more logistical issues involved though, I'm sure <laughs> planning yeah. something multi, multi-week, but yeah. There's there's pluses and minuses. It's organized yeah. around this concept I developed of the six pillars of sustainable wine growing leadership. I got tired of people saying sustainability is meaningless. It doesn't have a clear definition. It's confusing. And oh, I said, we're Dang getting it. right into it. There's six <laughs> core right. pillars. Yeah, I want right. to get right into it. There are okay. six core pillars that you got to be working on to really call yourself leaders. And so Rise walks through all six of those pillars, but also makes the integrated connections between all of the different topics. Well, tell us exactly what Rise is. So. Uh, um, so people know is it's a it's a foundation it's a it's an LLC it's a corporation it's a guide like what what exactly is it <laughs> yeah so Napa Green is a nonprofit we yeah. became a nonprofit in 2019 and then this is our symposium right so just like any organization has an event this is our biggest event we do other events uh, and it's it's focused on accelerating sustainability and climate action in the wine industry. So it's relevant to anyone in the wine industry. It's absolutely not just about Napa County. That just happens to be where we're based. Um, but it's really about anyone who wants to come and work together and get the tools and the resources. And very importantly, the community. We need that support to come together and really accelerate action around sustainability and climate. You know, with all the um, talk about that, it's still you're still a leader. In, in doing this, quite frankly. Yes. I mean, we've had uh, the lady from, the doctor from... Uh, Kimberly Sw- Nicholas. Sw- yes. Yeah, that's I know her. Very, yep. speaker, a speaker last year at their seminar. Yes, she was there. Really? Yeah, oh, excellent. Great. Excellent. As, as was um, Karen from Const, or Conscious, Conscious Container. Container. Yeah, also. and she'll be there again this year. Yeah. So thank you for leading this. It's a really thank good you. thing. Well, what's going to be different this year from last year? It's just a different lineup, a different set of topics, really. And really, as I was saying, we're always trying to make the cross connections. We can't be thinking about this in silos. Uh, We're really excited that on day one, we have Jancis Robinson live with us in person. Some folks have thought she was virtual, but she's with us in person. Uh, She's really big on glass lightning and packaging. So we're going to be starting with that uh, conversation. Speaking of wine in a can. Um, I thought it was apropos for today. Yes, it is. It's on point. (laughs) Uh, um, And we're just going to have a whole bunch of really exciting conversations, including uh, culminating with a state of sustainability. For anyone who knows the Unified Symposium, they do a state of the industry. And I thought we need a state of sustainability. And that's going to have Esther Mobley uh, with the San Francisco Chronicle and others. Great. She's really a great writer. Yes. Yeah. And great to have her out. Well, and she's uh, lots of knowledge in that one. Seriously. For sure. Yeah. No, one of my favorite in the industry. For yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Somebody you always read. That's the idea. Yeah. yeah. Friend of the pod. We had her on yeah. during COVID by way of Unfortunately, Zoom. during Zoom, which we're not all big fans of, yeah. but yes. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> get her back on in person Just sometime. on it this morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can't but get it was, away from it. It was fun to see the inside of her apartment. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> 
Well, because she, <laughs> it looked like my apartment when I was in, I mean, there was probably 20 wine boxes stacked up in the corner and, and she, she was basically putting the message out, stop sending me wine. <laughs> Enough awesome. already. Something you'll never hear out of my mouth. Yeah. Um, all yes. right. So agreed. So how do people get involved? Um, not just with the, um, with the event that you're having, but in general, let's say, they're in, they're a winery that's not involved. They reach out to you, and what are the steps involved? What do they have to go through? Is there a contract they have to sign? Is there people <laughs> that come out and check that they're doing the things? Yes. Absolutely, yeah. So Napa Green, first and foremost, does facilitate leading sustainability certification for wineries and vineyards. Uh, we are right now Napa County focused, although there is conversation about getting bigger. There's an interest in our having a larger umbrella. Um, but we have both a vineyard and a winery certification. You can do either or both because some growers don't have wineries and some wineries are just right. purchasing their grapes. Um, and there are more than 120 practices you have to do to be a certified winery and more wow. than 100 practices you have to do to be a certified vineyard. And there absolutely is someone that goes out and third party validates that you are walking the talk, which is increasingly important to consumers because a lot of people do just say I'm sustainable and they're recycling and they have some solar or something. And, and consumers want to know you truly are taking a holistic, deep dive, meaningful, rigorous approach to this. And so it's very much validated. So you have 120 points you have to walk. What's uh, the difference between that and organic? How much more detail Good. is organic? Right, let's get Jump into it. Jump right into yeah, it. Let's yes. Get into it. Um, so I, this is kind of one of our number one questions that we get. And I would say uh, it's it's really important to look as, at organic as one piece of the puzzle, particularly in terms of addressing the climate crisis that we're in. So we do have uh, a prohibited and restricted pesticide list, and we do have a uh, restriction on the use of glyphosate. And then what we have is, a, which is Roundup, and then what we have is a gold level for rec that recognizes our members that really are taking it all the way in terms of herbicide-free and organic. Uh, but that's one of just six elements of our vineyard program. So one of the things I say on, on this topic when I get this question is, is we talk a little bit about sometimes missing the climate for the weeds. There's a whole huge set of practices we need to do all the way from the vineyard through the winery to our packaging, to our distribution. And herbicide or pesticide use is just one small piece of that. And that's part of that six pillars of the breadth, the systematic approach. I kind of see it as a filter to look at, is this program is any program or organization really taking a really holistic approach to this? And the other thing I'll say about organic is organics just for the farm, right? And it's it's about what you don't do. Don't use synthetic pesticides. Uh, but in terms of even if you get organic in the winery, we won't go deep into this. Um, but that's not related to environmental stewardship in the winery. It's just related to production. So it's not addressing social equity. It's not addressing climate action. It's not addressing resource efficiency. So it's just one piece of a much bigger puzzle that we're trying to work with our growers and vintners to address. And when you talk about the six pillars, can we just cover those and yes. um, instead of touching on the 120 things that people need to do? <laughs> we won't talk about all 100. Well, it's 220 across the vineyard and the winery. Right, because it's 120, but then if you're, when you're talking about the vineyard, you add on another, another 100, correct? Yes. Okay, yeah. so yeah, I don't think we can talk about all no, those. No, 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 no. But just basically the six pillars so people get an idea of exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, so we start with uh, water efficiency and savings, and I think it would be good to talk about the ROI and some of the economic benefits of these practices, uh, but water efficiency and savings, energy efficiency and savings, waste prevention and supply chain, which is that big packaging piece. Uh, we have what we call proactive farming, soil health and biodiversity. Uh, and then we have the social justice, diversity and inclusion. And that's really a piece of the sustainability conversation that's often gotten sidelined. So we're really trying to bring social equity back front forward in what we're doing. And then all of that rolls into climate action and regenerative agriculture as the big kind of overarching context of all the work that we're doing. And is that the goal at the end of the day is to get everyone now? I mean, it used to be organic and biodynamic, but now it's regenerative farming. We're talking about carbon. And um, I mean, is that the end goal is to get everyone basically to the absolute cleanest possible farming and 
um, absolute best treatment of employees. And um, I think I think the end goal is there's the vineyard and a lot of people. So I'll probably say this six times. A lot of people, when they think about sustainability, they stop at the vineyard. And it's right. very important that we think all the way through production. Right. So I think my end goal would be, yeah, would growers and farmers all be farming regeneratively? Yes. But then also they would be doing all of these resource efficiency and climate action and social equity practices in production and thinking about how you're distributing your product right. so it's all the way through we call it soil to bottle that's what we call it so can we do them one by one can we talk about can we start yes. with water and absolutely um so water people think okay they probably the instant thing is they're thinking of is um dry farming so not just have not just and uh, you know we've seen what they do down in um, central valley not not necessarily with grapes but with with fields you know that we supply most of the country with um, produce and I yeah. think w what they used to do was just basically flood, flood the fields. Flood irrigation. Yeah. Um, so, but we're not just talking about that. You, I think you talk about saving. When you're saving water, you're also saving money, yes. um, which is important. So let's talk about water first, and then we'll just go through them one by one. Fabulous. Sounds okay. good. Yeah, one of the things we talk a lot about where I get people's eyes kind of opening a little bit is we talk about the water energy climate nexus, and the idea is that when you save water. There's a, it takes a lot of energy to transport, to heat, and to treat that water. So when right. you save water, you're saving that energy. And when you save that energy, you're reducing the emissions required to make that energy. So that's just one example of how interconnected all of this is. Uh, in terms of the irrigation side, and let's be honest, irrigation relative to water use in the winery a much bigger, a much bigger area of, well, of use. Not as some wineries, you should see the water run down the drains <laughs> when you clean up. But, but you would still ahead. usually, yes. but I'll talk about yeah. both side of it, sides of it. But in the in the vineyard, uh, we do definitely have members that dry farm. I think there's a misunderstanding. Some people think you can just switch to dry farming. Oh, tomorrow I'm just going to start dry farming, and that's not how it works. You have to really plan your vineyard plan from the beginning yeah. uh, to make sure that it's really designed with the right rootstock and the right orientation and the right pruning and the right all of that to really set it up for dry farming. And it's certainly easier also to dry farm on the valley floor than on the hillsides, not yeah. that it's impossible. So that's not a requirement, but we do absolutely have some members working on that who share their knowledge around how to do that. But for those who are doing drip irrigation, and I do have to say in terms of agriculture, because you're talking about all the different crops we grow in California, Wine grapes are very efficient in terms of water use, but that isn't to say they aren't a big water user, right? And so in terms of drip irrigation, one of the things we work with folks on is, uh, it's not going to sound sexy, but it's called an irrigation distribution uniformity assessment. And basically that's making sure your drip system is actually functioning as efficiently as possible and delivering the water as evenly as possible because you want yeah, all the vines totally. to be getting the same amount of water mm -hmm. at the same time. And it's deeply connected to quality. Yeah. Uh, getting the right amount of irrigation to the vine at the right time. So it's really kind of that monitoring and maintenance of your drip system to make sure it's really working properly. And we give people a report and recommendations and help them really optimize their drip system. And then on the winery side, the biggest users are sanitation. So tank cleaning, barrel cleaning, and then landscaping. Decorative landscaping is another big <laughs> yeah, one. Right. Um, so we really yeah. look a lot at improving just efficiency of the, of the process to clean the tanks and clean the barrels and, and use new things like aqua, aqua tools and things that just use water more efficiently in the winery. I will never forget coming back um, up through the Central Valley on July 4th, a few years ago, when it was extremely hot and they were just spraying into the air. Evapotranspiration oh, it was at work. It was insane. Yeah. I mean, just and, and Lack of miles and miles and miles of nothing but... Uh, wine plants yeah. <laughs> yeah well why don't we talk about another uh sort of contentious topic because i love doing that um which is now we're having these huge heat spikes in in the industry so last year we had temperatures reached over 115 degrees in some places in the vineyard in september yours I well, I don't own a vineyard. I think fortunately it'd be too hard for me. I mean, you don't. Farmers do a tough job, um, and so a lot of the tool, the kind of key tool people right have right now to combat extreme heat is either irrigations 
or misting. Yeah. And misting is kind of like the one saving grace right now. And of course, relative to an irrigation, it's more efficient. But I do have questions, and we're ha- and we're it having is? this conversation at right. It uses really? less water than an irrigation. I and mean, we've had this conversation, I yeah. think, on the yeah. show before that that there's ways to to use the misting to keep the ambient temperature down in the vineyard. Yeah, without yes. a doubt, and also, and then how you schedule those mistings because yeah. what you're trying to do is get air movement through right. um, the vineyard, which helps cool it. So it has to be a thoughtful yes. um, a way to misting, and then monitoring that the misters are working correctly is very important because if the mister is is popped off the the line then it's just squirting water onto the ground but i think one of the questions i have and we're going to have this conversation the last day of rise actually is around you know is water a long-term solution to these extreme heat events you know given that yeah we're we're doing a little better right now in terms of water but california is in a constant cycle of drought i mean i don't think we're it's just going to keep getting more extreme and so what are our long-term solutions? We really have to be thinking proactively and thinking ahead about how we're going to address some of these things, like seeing crazy temperatures, like 120 right. degrees in the vineyard. And 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 we've talked about that a little bit. And I'm wondering if if you're th- if you are thinking the same way. It's about shade cloths, um, uh, uh, orientation, roller orientation. Once rootstock, yeah. But then there's a question of is there is there a cliff point? Is there, if, if you had 115 degrees, are those things, how much can they help you at that point? Right. And what are our solutions as we have more right. events like that? And that's a question. Bart, what are the hottest temperatures? That's a question without an answer. And not without an absolute answer. <laughs> right. yeah, I think absolutely. misting is one solution a right. lot of people are turning to now. It's also very expensive. Right. What's the hottest climate you can grow grapes in? Well, I think we're testing that right we're now from last right year. Now. I mean, yeah. you know. I think it got to, I was at Silver Oak um, at Alexander Valley last yeah. year and they lost about 20%, mostly yeah. N-Rose. And I think they maxed out at 117 um, that yep. day. So it, I heard some got a little higher than that. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and yeah. I, I have a video of a Sauvignon Blanc vineyard that I got some grapes from last year that went through that. And it was, it had a lot to do with, how it was exposed to the sun. The side, the side that was exposed to the sun was completely burned and to hard yeah, raisins. Yeah, yeah. On the other side of the same bunch, it looked perfect. Or it can just even be how you're, how you're, you know, pruning and right. and, and changing right. the cover over. Right. The and and so so to answer your question, John, I mean, we're testing those amounts now. And what could have probably saved some fruit in this case was different pruning or leaving more leaves out. Yeah. It didn't have yeah. to be as Can't bad be. it was. I'm but, just thinking about Chile and some of the South American areas that are they also just got hit by fire as we have. All the regions are getting hit by that as well. Yeah. There's no answer to that question yeah. really, John. Yeah. It's well, going to yeah. be something we keep <laughs> we, working to answer. Yeah. We keep bringing that let's, up, don't we? Yeah. Right. We're not just going to rip out all of our um, varietals and plant um, different varietals that can no, take 117 degree temperatures. Yeah. So yeah. we got to figure out how to keep Cabernet King in Napa, um, but figure out a way not to use all this water um, while we're doing it. Well, okay. I'll ask another question then. Um, what are the hardiest grapes in the heat and what are the most fatal? What ones die the there easiest? Are, there are ones I'm sure you've been hearing. There's there's people starting to experiment with some new varieties in Napa, so I can only really speak to that. But people trying Triga Nacional, Aglianico. I think Portuguese uh, varietals yeah. have been pretty popular in experimentation. I know Morgan at Bedrock is is trying out some of that stuff. But the idea is... It's not going to take over, I don't think. No. Yeah. No. And it's yeah. going to take time to figure it out also. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is everything has to grow and evolve. So we're really always trying to work with people to help them along this continuum as the climate continues to change. And then like, how deep do you get into helping them? So if someone says, hey, we can't really afford one of those drip lines that has sensors on every row (laughs) that can tell us when we need to water, you know, block A, row seven, um, instead of turning on the entire drip line, like what are their alternatives for that? If um, Or do you guys provide grant or do you... A lot of different things. I mean, I would say I I do have to say we're really distinct from most certification programs or how most people think about certification. We don't like hand someone 
a set of standards and be like, have at it. And yeah. then someone comes out and validates it. And that's it. We are very boots on the ground, providing a lot of handholding and support. And I think that's a big difference in the success of our program. Because uh, a lot of like CCOF, for instance, that's more like, here's your standards, do it. Someone comes yeah. out and validates it kind of thing. Uh, and so, uh, we don't require, like, we don't require you use a Thule system or a ranch system or the latest technology. What we require is that you do that DU assessment every three to five years. You make sure you're really monitoring and maintaining your drip and critically, and this is across all the topics we're talking about, we require that you track it and keep an eye on your water use. Right. And that's when people start to notice leaks or notice their drippers are having issues or and start to just catch things they can maintain. Awareness, mindfulness, yeah, uh, yeah pay more attention to it. Yeah. So um, much of this comes down. It's not sexy, but so much of it comes down to monitoring and maintenance. Yeah. So much of it. So what do we do in the in the winery, in the crush pad? What do we do to reduce the amount of water when we're because those of you that know that make wine, Bart knows for sure. It's like, I'm, you know, 80 to 90 percent janitorial and it's all cleaning of, of stuff. So what, what are some of the ways that people can reduce water actually working in the cellar? Yeah, well, I mean, first it's like, don't be chasing some berries around with the hose, right? So like get out <laughs> your squeegee <laughs> and some of your basic uh, concepts there. Very I mean, it, it is. It's it's yeah. pressure washers, it's squeegees, it's brooms. You know, I mean, in, in my early days, it was just take, get three hoses and wash everything towards the drain. Yeah. Um, and you can't do that anymore. And especially with so many wineries, like in warehouses now, where you're paying for every gallon coming in, and then you're also paying for the wastewater to be processed. Yeah. So yeah. you have to be aware of that. Arose, they will, those warehouses will bleed you of um, yeah. your finances. Well, and then Dry. in terms of, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. and, Pun intended. Yeah. In terms of sanitation, I mean, we see a lot of people are moving to steam. Yep. That then can use more energy. So this gets us into the energy topic. Right. Um, then there's just, there's that like, from Davis, the idea that you always did this five-step cleaning of the tank, that isn't necessarily true. So some of those rinse steps or other, there's products now that can reduce the number of rinses you have to use. Mm. There's things like uh, Blue Morph, you might've heard of a UV sanitation technology. Yeah. So there's a lot of new tools, especially around sanitation, which is the biggest in winery user. And then I have to say landscaping, especially roses and olive trees, and that's where that monitoring again is so important because we constantly see people, they might've been collecting that data, but no one's looking at it. And they start looking at it and they're like, well, I lost 200,000 gallons. They, they see a leak all yeah. of a sudden. And especially in landscaping, leaks are common and leaks are big. The the blue morph idea is, is very exciting. Um, I had an opportunity to use one of those very early on. It was yeah. very experimental and the concept is great. Can you talk a little bit about that? I know they're going to be there presenting, right? They're going to be at Rise on uh, day two on April 6th. Um, I, I won't, I just will not claim to be an absolute expert in that, but it's a, it's a UV technology that, that takes care of the sanitation. It eliminates the need for water and, and sanitation. And we do have some oh. members using it, including some very, very high end uh, uh, wine I won't name names because they haven't given me permission, yeah. who are very, very happy with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there's a thing that goes on with it. There's clean and then there's sanitizing. Mm -hmm. And and so you do have to clean. Um, and so therefore, there's where you have to really try to watch how much water you use. But it used yeah. to be you cleaned and sanitized using water, yeah. and depending on what you put into right. the water to clean. Right. The blue morph takes out one yeah. of those processes. Yeah. And so probably though, and, and, and I know this is a conversation you've had before because I've heard you talk about it, is things initially might be a little price prohibitive. So something like that to put in a system like that might be expensive for one of the smaller guys. But if more yeah. once more people start using it, yeah. then the price comes down on uh, on being able to use that technology. Well, and again, if you save a ton of water, you're saving a ton of energy. And I right. have to say, I mean, one of my favorite examples to give, because we do baseline and track energy, water waste and emissions for all of our members, is we've seen a member and pretty small member around 20,000 cases, two members making about the same amount of wine, one of them using 28 kilowatt hours per case of energy and one of them using eight kilowatt hours per case of energy. Nice. And that delta of 20 kilowatt hours is more than $100,000 a wow. year in savings. Unreal. 
Yeah. So this is we're, these can have huge payback. Wait, I want to I want to know what the look on the person's face was when you showed them these numbers. The the person that used the more it's energy. Like, what are <laughs> what are those? I mean, and it's true. Not everyone can achieve exactly the same efficiencies, but that's showing you that someone that's the same size as you right. is managing to to save not just a lot of energy, but a lot of money. Yeah. And, and right now, cost of supplies are going up. Everything's yeah. going up. You want to you want to be reducing these costs. And you have to start this conversation. And yeah. by you guys providing the information, you're starting the conversation. You, as we say, you're giving them a path to doing it better. Well, and electricity costs have gone from 26 kilo, uh, cents per kilowatt hour to 36 cents in a few years. Yeah. I mean, it's it's rising dramatically. Bart, can you describe the blue morph system? I, John, I, I what I saw originally was we used for um, in barrels. Okay. Uh, um, and it was a UV light that was very, very delicate that you put machine into put it. In, yeah. Yeah. So what she's talking about, it's a, it's a machine. I imagine it's the same idea, but you put it into the tank okay. and you expose the stainless steel to okay. um, the UV light. All right. Yeah. And they're, they're even looking at this. There's other... Um, uses for this too. I, yep. I I love the show Shark Tank. And so there was someone that created a diaper changing table um, that was using, using UV, UV. <laughs> UV light technology and it was killing 99.9% .9 of um, stuff. Interesting. Um, but I the problem it. was it was a little price prohibitive for people right. because the government wasn't requiring that you had it. They were just suggesting that you have it. So until it's actually required, then people are like, well, I can pay $1,000 for the normal one, or I can pay $3,000 right, right. for this really cool one. Um, so what's my motivation? Yeah. Um, but when you talk about landscaping and gardening, that's another thing I've heard you talk about is, is not having, everything doesn't have to look so picturesque and pretty, um, not just at the winery, but in the vineyards. Yeah. I mean, weeds are a human construct, right? right. This yes. is a human construct. Even the, the word weed yeah. is something that, uh, it's funny, we change so many words um, because they're not politically correct or we yeah. use something um, different, you know, but but weed should be one of those ones that we absolutely figure out a new word for. Yeah, I mean, I was just, I was driving over here. I think it's like once you see it, you can't unsee it. I think some people don't notice it because they're not super familiar with the vineyard, so they're just seeing what they see. But once you start to see there's this dead zone under the vines Clean. and then there's these beautiful grasses in between yep. and it's like this this actually doesn't look nice it looks nicer if there's to me right i oh, don't yeah. know this is subjective but to me it you looks must not nicer. be obsessive compulsive <laughs> <laughs> i am not ocd no. i think it's people obsessive like the like the look of something that's very grid-like or very black and white. Well, and we've and so, said for a long time that's how it should look, and now we right. have to start thinking about different ways. You of sure how can it tell exactly the difference, right. can't you? That's yeah. Exactly yeah. Right. you okay. know, I mean, you drive along and you see one and the other. It just yeah. yeah. We were heading over to Sweet D the other night and saw both. I was talking to yeah. Joan about yeah. it. Yeah. 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 All right. So, did we cover water? We covered water. We got into energy. Right. Uh, so we we want to go into energy a little yeah, bit. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, the, the number one thing I have to say about energy that we work on is I think for a long time now, people have thought, I'm just going to put in solar. It's sexy. It's visual. There it is. Um, and we've seen a lot of people that did that before maximizing their efficiency. And what we say is you don't want to solarize your inefficiencies. Right. Because if you first make sure you're as efficient or close to as efficient as you could be, that reduces the size and the footprint of the solar array that you need to put in. So that saves you a lot of money and a lot quicker payback and means that you you can get more of your energy use from your solar array. So we really work with people uh, to do a lot of things, everything from, you know, changing out your lights to LED, which is pretty commonplace now. Um, using night air, we've seen a lot of people with night air systems they aren't using, you know, putting your night air system into use. Bart, will you just explain that so people that don't know what that yeah. means? Well, night air is a um, a fan, that an inlet fan and, a, and an outlet. And when the temperature... Uh, outside gets lower than inside the warehouse, a fan kicks on and you suck in the cold air from below and exits the warm air. Okay. Um, a lot of these warehouses that where wineries are and where all the case goods are all stored, they don't have, most of them don't have huge air conditioning units running them. They're usually all processed with with night air. Gotcha. And and it's amazing how efficient they, it, it can work. Yeah, yeah so. and then the other biggest user is refrigeration. I mean, the biggest user is refrigeration, refrigeration. in the winery. So mm -hmm. uh, really, you know, maintaining those systems and then starting to upgrade to more efficient systems is huge and then just things like a lot this is another a little bit subjective piece a lot of people have felt like it's just 
God's word that you have to sanitize at 180 degrees. That isn't necessarily true. But what we've worked with our members on is during that non-sanitation period when you don't need your water to be at 160 to 180 degrees, turn it back to 120 to 140. And we've had people save over $5,000 a year on natural gas costs just by making that tweak when they don't need that super and, hot and, and another thing is out when you see tanks not in a building the tanks outside yeah stainless steel tanks without insulation on them yes you have to work so much harder to keep those tanks at, at temperature than you do if they have the foam insulation yeah. now the foam insulation it's hard. You have to keep it clean. Um, it doesn't look as pretty. Yeah. Um, it's expensive to put in. Yeah. But there's a huge, huge difference in, in how much you um, how much you can save. Right. So. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I, I think it's sort of simple there. Energy costs have gone up so, so much. I mean, this is an area some people are spending so, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Some wineries are spending on energy use. No. So it's your number one area to reduce your bottom line. And it's our first event at Rise. And it's interesting, last year and this year, the least interest. And I find that so surprising because it's your number <laughs> one way to save money. Like people are constantly yeah. kvetching to me about this is expensive and how do I actually make it make sense in terms of ROI? Save energy, like come work with us to save energy. And then, yeah, I mean, do put in your renewable, although things are changing in that marketplace right now. But but first you want to make sure you've really maximized that efficiency. Yeah, even local wineries. I know um, Anaba, you know, utilizes wind. wind power. Um, and what was so weird the other day, they, they closed cause they didn't have energy. It was too windy. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I, I didn't don't know. know there was such a thing. As I that didn't either. They, we had a group that was supposed to go there and taste after here. And, and we got a phone call saying we don't have any power. It overwhelmed um, the system. It over, remember that day a few days ago where it was just a oh, yeah. 40 mile per hour winds. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Um, but, but I like the fact that the, on most days. Um, their tasting room has been powered by, by, wind. Uh, by wind. Well, another great thing that's happening, and not all communities have this, but we you do have it here in Sonoma and we do have it in Napa, is these groups like MCE, it's called like Community Choice Aggregation, where they're guaranteeing that you're getting more renewable energy from the grid. So MCE guarantees you're getting like 60% solar and wind from the grid. And then if you're one of their customers like I am, and I think you have this with Sonoma Clean Power, you can opt up to this deep green option where you're paying a small premium to get a hundred percent of your energy from the grid. Oh, so wow. that's like a paperwork decision you can make where you're investing in the overall grid being a greener grid. So costing you a little bit more money, but sending the message that we want more of that. And it's a lot cheaper than installing your own solar array. I mean, essentially right. you're almost creating yeah, your right. own solar array, but you're just opting. What is the ROI delta point on solar for the average winery? It, I mean, it's really not that bad. It's like seven, nine, ten. It depends. It depends on on what you're putting in. And but what's happening right now, and it's I think it's probably too geeky for anything we want to go into. But they're changing the net metering. The state's changing the net metering rates for solar, and it's it's unfortunately creating some disincentives for installing private uh, solar arrays. But what it's meant to do, and we'll see how it plays out, is create more incentives to put in battery storage in addition to your solar arrays so that you don't, you're not just producing energy, but you're storing some energy that can help shave your loads when, when we're hitting peak energy. It's getting into really geeky engineering period, but there are some, it's important for anyone interested in renewable energy to note that actually next month it's changing to a new net metering system and it's going to change some of the incentives and the ways we approach you have actually solar. seen signs like you would normally see during an election where you see the election signs i've seen signs near my house at least um protesting talking, basically yeah. talking yeah. about solar like get it now get yes um, everyone get it now. there is a huge huge run right now to get it all you have to get your project started by next month in order to stay in in the current net metering yeah. system yeah. so solar companies are doing good right now We'll see oh, yeah. how they're doing in a few years. <laughs> Can we right. talk next about um, uh, waste prevention and supply chain? Because I know that every pallet of glass that comes in uh, to the winery is wrapped in plastic and every barrel that comes <laughs> yeah. into the winery yeah. is wrapped Shrink in plastic. Yeah. And, then Do you know, we, and that's not recyclable. Well, it plastic. is. is so it? let's, let's okay, talk yeah. about that. All right. yep. I mean, one of the huge problems for consumers just on this one topic, because I think if there's another area in addition to organic that consumers are tend to be aware, it's recycling, right? But the sad thing is, or the hard thing is, every waste management district has slightly different rules and slightly different totally. things 
things that they can recycle, which we try, we work really closely with in Napa at Supper Valley and Napa Recycling. And, uh, it's, it's constantly sort of changing, but you can actually with that shrink wrap in Napa, I'm not sure if that's true for ecology in Sonoma, if you consolidate it and put it in its own clear bag, it can go into the mixed recycling up valley, down valley for Napa recycling. You have to collect and who's going to be able to do this. You have to be able to collect 20 yards of it before they'll come and pick it up and recycle it. Are you doing that? So <laughs> I don't know if they do this at other places. My daughter goes to Credo and Runner Park. We call them skins. Um, it's all of the little protective plastic that's around every pr that you don't even think about, like your roll of paper towels. Oh yeah. That's covered in yeah, and that so, is um, really we collect all the plastic. skins. And I have the biggest ball in my garage right now. It's one of those huge garbage bags and it is absolutely stuffed. And now yeah. we've started on the next one yeah. and, and her school is collecting them and, and I don't yeah. know where they're taking them, yeah. but they're Ours doing something. Ours won't take them both singly anyway. Yeah. I, I've never been told to collect it by itself. Yeah. Well, I mean, I we think... really have to get rid of single use plastic. We just oh, yeah. really, really have to get used. I'm, to get I'm rid so, of so tired of unwrapping yeah. everything that doesn't need to be. It's just the, the market's gone because China kind of left our recycling market. Yep. And so that really bottomed out now. I mean, it's like now they are finding solutions, but it's, it's, of so such low value that low grade plastic yeah. it just doesn't make sense we yeah. just have to stop there is an australian company that came out with, with biodegradable shrink wrap um that's only available over there at this point yeah i've um, talked to them actually you have of course yeah. you have. <laughs> <laughs> we're always trying to keep up that's, on all of these great. resources no, well, remember those there. little rice candies that we used to get when we were kids they sell yes. them in the little boxes yeah. and then you can eat the wrapper and it sort of dissolves in your mouth yeah yeah um, i forgot about that yeah yeah, saran wrap is the one thing in, in hotels and coming from the Fairmont, we got rid of most single use plastic. The one sticking point was saran wrap. Chefs I thought were, you were going to say bottled water. I'm so no, exhausted. That, they, that we solved that problem, but it was the yeah. saran wrap. Chefs are using it and there's no real, real clear alternative um, to those as of yet. Yeah, um, yeah. It's unfortunately true. it's true yeah. i mean the thing to say on on this topic overall and we have to talk about glass right yeah. is we know that on average 30 to 50 percent of any vineyard and wineries emissions comes from packaging and distribution alone so i'm i'm definitely not a proponent of like glass going by the wayside glass is very important for aging a lot of premium wines but we do have to get away from this this onerous belief that bigger is better uh, it's just not true, at least in this area, at least in this area, it's just not true. And we do really have to lighten the glass weight, which is a big uh, mission of Jancis Robinson that she's going to be talking about. So we have a lot of members working on lightening up their glass weight and then your surrounding packaging, making sure that that's as green as possible as well and not sending people styrofoam. Most get, people reach out and say, thank you when you stop using styrofoam and or I the wood boxes. A I lot of people are like, thank you for not sending me your sixth wood box that I have yeah. nothing to do with well at least that you can i mean is you can put it in your house and use it as a, a DIY display project, they yes. use them for the catering department of course as little risers for everything but the yeah. styrofoam i don't even open things that have styrofoam in my house anymore because then i'm then i'm using more energy to vacuum yeah all the everywhere. little pieces of styrofoam yeah. it's complete insanity um yeah. and it just can't be recycled it, except no it's the yeah. one thing that really nowhere. can't yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bart, you've gone to lighter glass just recently. I have. And, and it's interesting it because, going? well, I haven't released the wine because, of course, I'm waiting for some labels, which I I think maybe today they're printing them. We just Not got ours um, today. Yeah. Okay. The there wines, you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's interesting because the glass that, um, that I received or what they had available, um, uh, it was flat bottom also. Okay. Uh, 313 grams a bottle. So very lightweight. Yeah. Very lightweight. Um, to look at it, um, it looks, it didn't even look like it was a 750 milliliter bottle. Are you but talking you, about the one for the rose? Yeah. For yeah. the rose and the Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, they look yeah. tiny. Um, it, they look tiny, but they are 750 mils. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I don't care. Yeah. Like the price of the glass was um, very reasonable. Um, there was a, the glass that I got had been melted one time in and and or had been formed one time. There was no use for it. It was going to go be recycled, recycled. into yeah. quote unquote. base, <laughs> probably yeah. not into more glass. And if yeah. it would have been into more glass, it would have had to have been melted again and 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 refired. So um, it is what it is. 
Well, another thing is you can absolutely lighten up and and maintain a very elegant appearance. Absolutely. So I I totally appreciate the people like you willing to go all out and and not be too worried about how it looks. But I remember years and years ago I was working with Benziger and they were they were kind of like I don't know can we lighten our bottles and we just brought up a, a lineup and some of them were were lighter just small changes the shoulders and the punts yep. and they realized they couldn't tell the difference. Right. And it saved them, reduces shipments. Yep. So reduces costs, reduces the weights and totally. emissions of those shipments. Uh, so it was kind of a no-brainer once they realized, okay, I can shave 100 grams and not even notice it, let alone shave yeah, 300 grams you and you do notice it, right. right? And I think for established brands, what Bart's talking about in terms of aesthetics, if someone's getting a bottle that's a little bit lighter and might seem, it does, it has a different sound to it when you ting the bottle. Yeah. If if you have a reputation in the industry as having a quality product in that bottle, that shouldn't make much of a difference. Right. And then there, on the other end of the spectrum, you have the people that are doing natural wines. It seems like a perfect fit for anyone doing quote unquote zero zero um, wines because it's all about that's basically one of the um, pillars the tenets, of yeah. their own pillars of yeah. their message is that they are doing things that are better for the environment. Right. Where I think there's sort of going to be a little bit of pushback is those people that are in the hundreds of thousands of cases, um, you know, some of the bigger brands where it's, maybe it's, maybe they want people to have some sort of um, feeling of um, of quality. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, that's going to yeah. be the sort of, um, but they the, can make the, the biggest difference because yeah. they, right. The so amount many. they're producing. So right. Those are the, difference. actually the, the worst players I notice on the Safeway shelves is the people, folks making like a 15, $20 bottle of wine, but it's, I, I have a scale. I measure them on at home if I buy them and it'll be a 900 gram <laughs> bottle for that. a $20 bottle of yeah. wine. And yeah. it's like, yeah. no, don't believe that hype that this big, heavy bottle. I wonder how much the accountants, uh, uh, determined they saved at Benziger from changing bottles. I mean, that would be. We don't very have that number, but I will tell you a very impressive number we do have from them, which is that you might remember back in like 2007, 2008, they were just getting tons of marketing attention for their sustainable and biodynamic practices. They got on the cover of the Wine Spectator. They were on an Amex commercial. I mean, all kind. And we said to their marketing department, what would you have had to pay for all that marketing? Like if you yeah. had versus the free, it was coming to them. They're like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. And so they went back and added up a year of free marketing, what they would have had to pay. And it was over $800,000. Yeah. And that was back in 2008. Being so that was what? marketing, yeah. you know, we don't want that to be, well, I mean, you know what, for whatever reason, people come to us and work with us, we'll work with them. We don't want marketing to be the main reason, but there's huge value in the marketing. So because I'll forget about it later. And since I'm thinking about it now, will you talk about scores, how it relates to organic and biodynamic wines? Scores. Well, yes. So they are you talking about this kind of huge study they did of, of all these different wines? Yeah. yeah. So they did a huge study. I think it was out of UCLA. I really want to see this for, for truly leading sustainable wines. But yeah. they did a study where they looked at made with organic grapes. Very important distinction. I'm sure you've talked about on the yeah. show. Made yes. with organic grapes versus a fully organic wine. Made with organic grapes and made with biodynamic grapes. They looked at like over 70,000 different SKUs. And they found that those that were made with organic grapes or biodynamic Dynamic, we're, we're scoring on average four to five points higher than their conventional counterparts. And so, I do think that for truly leading sustainable wines, we would see the same thing. So, I mean, difference between an 89 and a 94? Big difference. Huge. Huge. Whatever your thoughts are on ratings, but still, exactly. they matter to it, a lot of people. Exactly. Right. Exactly right. Sorry. Yeah. And I just wanted to mention that because I thought it was, it was, it kind of blew my mind. Well, winemakers don't trust the ratings or don't think much. However, the, they say that. <laughs> yeah, right. But consumers do. Consumers, consumers are that, still very go, tied in. Oh, yeah. 100 point wine from, uh, you know, on guard up in Kenwood or something right. like that. Well, and even Chom, people like myself, you're an old advertising guy. Yeah. A lot of the commercials, like they say that car commercials, when you see a car commercial, it's not for people to buy that car. It's for people to make them feel better about that Having purchase that purchase. they already had. Absolutely. So it's those scores sometimes aren't necessarily why someone buys the wine, but sometimes they buy it and then they go, oh, yeah. I must have a great palate it's because it's, it's, it's validating, validating yeah. to them. It is. Yeah. Yes. There's yeah. no yes. score police, right? Yeah. I mean, if you, you can get, you can get a great rating yeah. in 2007 and 
not get any other ratings in 2023 and yeah. still use that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, That's like yeah. when I see those like signs, I voted the best winery in the world. I'm like, by who? And right. when, when did you get that? <laughs> right. There are a lot of those signs. <laughs> and the <laughs> paint's <laughs> faded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. By who? Who was that? Your grandma? I don't know. Right. That. Okay, what's the next pillar? So proactive farming, uh, soil health and biodiversity. Um, and this is really where you're starting to get big, into those regenerative topic. farming yeah. practices and just how important it is to really work on soil health. Uh, and so what we work with our members on, uh, well, first I want to address some misunderstanding. So uh, there are a lot of diehard people doing regenerative farming that won't do any till. We don't require no till. And there actually are circumstances where we don't, you don't want to be tilling all over the place. We do promote conservation tillage or reduced tillage. But there are cases where some tillage can actually be more beneficial for your water retention, for your biodiversity, for your microbes in the soil. So we don't require no till as part of our regenerative farming practices. And also, a lot of people think if you're going to be regenerative, you have to be organic. I think that's that's the ultimate goal. But that does you can do all kinds of regenerative farming practices without having completely eliminated the use of herbicides. So those are two areas where we have a lot of conversation and there's still a lot of contention. But what we work with our growers on is we every single grower gets a unique uh, what's called a carbon farm plan for every vineyard that they get certified. And what that does is it walks through practices that most growers are doing. But what can you do more of cover crops, compost, reduced tillage, uh, hedgerows, um, you know, all of those things, keeping your forests intact. Uh, and it looks at what more could you do and how much more carbon could you sequester. But that's not even the main goal. I mean, what's great is that's a proactive role that farmers can play in storing more carbon in the soil. And the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has said that's one of the top five solutions to climate change. But really, these practices like cover crops and compost and reduced tillage, those are all adding to water infiltration and water retention and nutrient retention and right. happier microbes and better plant delivery and better resilience and better resilience to droughts and better resilience to heat stress and drawing in the insects and the birds that you do want that are no. getting rid of the insects and the birds that you don't want. And so even if we find out and we're tracking it, that these practices don't store as much carbon as we hope and as the latest science is saying, that's I'm sick of seeing the articles that are focusing on that because it's these win, 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 like no brainer reasons yeah. to do all these practices, regardless of the carbon sequestration. But that's an important piece of it. And so we are focusing on that. Yeah. As well. Holistic uh, approach. And yeah. And yeah. yeah. So if it's win, 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 why isn't everybody doing it right now? I mean, I think our number work. if we want to talk about our number one <laughs> our number one challenge across the board for all of us, right, is inertia. This is how I've been doing it. This is what I'm doing. Oh, like I have to change what I'm doing. I have to learn something new. I, you know, it's I have to train someone in something. It's like, oh, I'd rather not. But I'd in rather the face just stick of with this evidence. Yeah. Bart answer this one I mean, <laughs> seriously it is work but in the face of all this evidence why you should see bart's face right now. why aren't they, yeah <laughs> I, I, I know <laughs> I, I i don't know john i mean it's a mindset like you have to buy into this yeah. right you have to buy into you have to want to do the right thing and you know i mean we could say the same thing about guns it, you know i mean uh -oh. we, we have this we see this all the time and nothing changes and so you need people to buy in you need to get to a point where people are afraid and people want to make a difference and, well, and that I, you see the benefits. There's so many benefits, benefits that come out on the other side of this. Right. So, I mean, it does have to start with the commitment. We say, like people have said, have there been people who couldn't get certified? Yes, there have been a handful of people who couldn't get certified. And that mostly comes down to being willing to put in the time. Yeah. Anyone can do this. It's being willing to put in the time. I mean, that's really what it is. And, and that's why I think your seminar is so important. And that's why I wanted to have you on, because there are people that will go to it and it will make them make the change and it will make them do the work to get it done. Well, and resource and figure out that the resources are there. We're, right. We are there with the roadmap. And even if you don't do the entire roadmap, it's get it's showing you the steps along the way. I mean, one of the biggest things that came out of it last year was just that feeling of community, like 
oh, right, I'm not just isolated over here at Joe's Winery trying to make change and no one cares. Now I realize there's this community of hundreds of people that care about this that I can talk to and find out what they're doing and share what I'm doing. Right. And, and that's huge, just that feeling of camaraderie and support. Yeah. And and if someone if someone shares a story, go and says, I was there last year, I felt the same way, but we did this and it wasn't that bad and look at the results we had, then that will um, get other people to try it. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's where it has to start. As we said, when we had Kimberly Nichols on, it, if you're waiting for the government to come in and tell you this is what's going to happen for changes, it's just not going to happen. If you're waiting for big corporations to do it, it's not going to happen. You have to do it yourself. You have to start grassroots. Well, you have to start with. And these one of groups. the things I have to say is just this, you know, part of why I work in this sector, specifically in the wine industry, is we have an incredibly powerful platform. So it's not that the wine industry is in and of itself going to take a huge chunk out of global emissions and stop climate change, but it's that we're really at the peak of the agricultural pyramid. Like what we do gets noticed. I know because I'm getting phone calls asking, how do we replicate this? And so it, the leadership bar we set, hey, it does build our own resilience and, and build our community's resilience, but it also causes other people to st step up and say, oh, hmm. Maybe I should be doing that over here in Douro. Maybe I should be doing that. You know, yeah. I've got to pay attention because one of the leading wine regions or two of the leading wine regions in the world are doing these things and I need to be adopting them as well. And and we need all agriculture to kind of buy into this sort of thinking. Yeah. And let's face it, wine's the sexiest of all those things. Yeah. It's yeah. Um, yeah. And 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 if you know corn farmers or soybean farmers can um, learn from it or see that we're making a difference, maybe they'll try. But to then do they it. can do it at a scale that's that thousands and thousands yeah. of acres. Yeah. 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 You said something about um, why you chose to work in this. Uh, we didn't really get into yeah, your background. Where did you come yeah. from? <laughs> well, we've moved a lot growing up, but I did grow up primarily in St. Helena and Calistoga. And I have to say, I, I grew up from a, a different perspective in that I grew up very poor. We were actually the one white family in low-income housing in St. Helena. I mean, very poor for St. Helena standards, right? Um, and I, I left. I went away to college on the East Coast, and I did not intend to come back to the bubble. I'm like, I'm leaving the bubble. Uh, and then I got drawn back in. I was transitioning. Long story. I was transitioning from working in Vietnam to starting my master's at Yale. And I, I ended up working with a consultant, John Garn, who specialized specifically in sustainable wine growing consulting. And he was working with the California Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance and with Benziger and with others. And so I got drawn into this niche in 2006, and I've never really been able to escape it. <laughs> and it's fun. Honestly, it is, it is really fun to have, I mean, beyond fun, it's meaningful to have a really niche expertise that not a lot of people have. And I would say it's also incredibly meaningful to me. I'll get a little verklempt. Uh, driving around the valley, these places that seem like castles on a hill to me that were out of my reach completely that I now work with and that I can yeah. now call and say, can I partner with you on this? And that's, I mean, that hits me a lot. It's a, it's really meaningful. And meaningful can be fun. I, yeah. I like the play on words there. It's like, it should be fun when you're doing something meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that should be part of the fun. Wine is fun, it's true. For sure. <laughs> it's also it very is. political. So there's that side of things. Yeah, well, speaking How of which. So? Well, I mean, there's just, it's there's a lot of politics in this industry and a yeah. lot of money in this industry yeah. and, and a lot of people that are still climate deniers. And, you know, I get, I talk about the climate crisis and some people are like, I still don't want you to be talking about the climate crisis. And really? Yeah, I mean, and really? after we've had three mega fires in the past six years in this region, there and there are still. And people, your mom has lost two. And my homes. mom has lost two homes <laughs> in the last oh, three fires. Yeah, uh, there are still people thinking they can just go about business as usual, and that's it. That inertia and that denial is is a is a constant challenge. Well, what exactly is Napa Green then? Well, we are a nonprofit sustainability certification for wineries and vineyards, okay. and 
this resource for anyone who wants to level up their sustainability and climate action. We provide a lot of that support and that handholding and the resources I was mentioning to Bart, you did that episode on biochar. We are connected with everyone that produces biochar. We're connected with the air curtain burners that can make biochar. We require at a base level, our members do a conservation low smoke burn, which you were talking to them about, but better yet that they use a flame cap kiln or an air curtain burner or they chip. Um, and so we have all the resources on that piece and that's just one piece. So when you were talking about that, I think at some point you talked about like, so if one, if people want to do this and more, where do they turn? Napa Green is a place okay. that you turn when you really want to see what's my roadmap for sustainability leadership. What are all the things that I can do? What are the resources? Who, who do I turn to? That's when you turn to Napa Green. Admittedly, right now we're a Napa County program, but the the goal of Rise it's not about Napa. It's this is for anyone in the wine industry that wants to accelerate sustainability and climate action. Where are you drawing the most people? Obviously Napa, but where else are they coming from? I think there's more folks coming from Sonoma, um, and uh, we do we're connected to some of the other state programs, so they're they're sending some people. We definitely have media that are really interested this year um, and some community. The community is really interested. I mean, especially you're a little more diversified over here in Sonoma, but Napa, it's it's grapevines as far as the eyes can see. So no. the community is very, uh, you know, aware of and wondering about uh, water use and energy use in the wine industry and how are they improving that? So there's some community. Folks so well. uh, what kind of media are you attracting this year? It kind of remains to be seen. We got the Press Democrat coming. We, of course, have Esther coming. Uh, I think that's that'll be coming daily. the Chronicle then, of course. I hope so. Yeah. We'll see. There's no guarantee when yeah. someone shows up. No. Um, someone from the Wine Enthusiast. I mean, kind of all your Wine Business Monthly, mm -hmm. all your all your classic folks are engaged. The Register, of course, in Napa. Um, so, yeah, we hope there will be a little more little more coverage this year of, of some of the leading practices. Any we're consumer promoting. media coming up? I'm not sure. Uh, we, we did get a PR firm this year, which is big. So getting yeah. a little more of that media engagement. Yeah. So, what, okay, let's finish up with the pillars. Yes, last two pillars. So we yeah. didn't get to the social uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion, and mm -hmm. all of that rolls into climate action and regenerative ag, which we've already been talking a lot about. But I do think it's important to stress because somewhere along the way, this social element got lost in a lot of the sustainability conversations. And you just can't have environmental or economic sustainability without social sustainability. And there's a limit to how much you can do, especially in terms of a certification standard. Like, can we solve affordable housing. No, huge, no. huge challenge in Napa. But there's a lot that you can do just in terms of, you know, uh, it's been interesting the things we found that people aren't necessarily doing, like doing performance reviews, finding out where people want to go and how can you help them and where they want to no. go, you know, offering uh, free training and continuing education, um, you know, validating that farm labor contractors are doing the training that they're supposed to be doing and providing the housing that they say that they're going to provide. Of course, there's the living wage and of course there's benefits, but there's a lot more than that of kind of building a community. And then what we talk about a lot too is the ROI of teams and retention. I mean, we're having a labor crisis. Yep. There's a lot of turnover. And when you think about the value of someone you keep and the knowledge they build, especially in a vineyard block by block, if you've kept them for five or 10 or 15 years versus training someone up for two years and they're gone and you have to go through hiring again, you got to retrain them. That's a huge value loss and cost loss. And so thinking about all of those ways, and it, it, it sounds sort of hokey, but I've just seen places where they've managed to build a community and have celebrations and, and offer people training and those people stay in places where they don't do that nope. and the people don't stay. So yeah. it makes a big difference. Yeah. I think we just had Brene Royal on not too long ago, and I think up in Monterosa. I mean, she has people that have been in that vineyard for 30 plus years. And it, the the quality difference of that, they know exactly what the different well, microclimates and, need. And, yeah. and it's not just the wine industry. I mean, any industry, when you have to retrain someone, they when you have to train someone, they talk about, I mean, the amount of time and energy that yeah. you spend doing that when yeah. someone already knows, just make your people happy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Onboarding a new person and training a new person is a lot of work. I know because yeah. our team is expanding. But yeah. yeah, there's that element. And then the last thing I'll say on the because I don't want to take up too much time is that all of this rolls into climate action. So all of those things you do to save water and save energy and prevent waste and reduce shipments and reduce the weight of shipments uh, and have employees that are engaged and then take these practices home with them uh, and, and all of the things to take care of the soil and take care of uh, the plants, all of these things relate to climate action and building resilience and reducing emissions. And, and then there's the, the additional things, you know, we made it its own overarching category because then there's those next level things like EV chargers and electric vehicles and renewable energy and all of those things that, that are, you know, that next level step. But all of this is interconnected. All of yeah. it rolls into uh, building our resilience and addressing the climate crisis. Totally. Yeah. Um, can we talk about the event and kind of give us a little overview of what exactly is going on over? Yeah, the we're talking about time? it at the beginning. So it is it is really unique uh, intentionally, and that that does make it uh, a little harder for some people to attend, maybe. But what it is is it's a series of six half day events organized around those six pillars that we just walk through. And so there's two consecutive events each week. Uh, so April 5th and 6th, we're looking at energy and water. And then April 12th and 13th, we're looking at waste supply chain uh, and the proactive farming and soil health. And then April uh, 19th and 20th, we're looking at the social justice and then the overarching climate action and regenerative agriculture. So that's nice because people too can choose what they're most passionate about and kind of dip in and out. They don't need to do the <laughs> Come for the thing. energy. Yeah, <laughs> do you please come for the energy and for Jancis. <laughs> totally. Uh, lunch and wine are included. I mean, at the very least, come for some lunch and wine right. um, and breakfast even. Uh, so, but yeah, it's, it's you, you know, pick and choose what you're most passionate about. We love to see it. You can get an all six pack. You get a deal on all six, of course. Um, but but choose the things that that mean the most to you and come out. And it does mean you don't lose the whole day. You're you're out of there by one thirty. And right. I always find when you go past that, it's like enough. I, I've absorbed as much as I can for right. the day. So. Yeah, it's almost like palate fatigue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so how do people get a hold of you or get a, get tickets for the event? So go to risegreen.org. And I haven't said yet what RISE stands for, which I right. think is beautiful. It's resilience, innovation, sustainability, and empowerment, right. which is a perfect encapsulation of what we're trying to do. So it's right. it's risegreen.org. You get all the info on all that. We've got over 60 speakers, over 40 sustainable wow. partners. Oh, there is. This uh, is a huge deal. Yeah. It's a huge deal. Yeah. Uh, we're definitely going to have, we think, you know, 700 or so people in total across the six events this year so this is a big deal this isn't a piddling little event folks this no. is a this is a very cutting edge very leading yeah. symposium and we're very proud because let me tell you my team's been killing ourselves yeah. to make this happen so we yeah. better see all three of you there at the very least all right <laughs> we talked about one it. day yeah. no no for sure and um i'll go absolutely yeah. any day you want all right there you go john's there driving go. me right yeah i will <laughs> i will no problem bring some wine okay. um do you envision a day where you walk into a market like like I go to Oliver's and there's a produce section and one is conventional and one's organic? Do you think or maybe this is happening already? I don't know. Going in and seeing wine broken up into different categories on the shelves. Well, you've probably just started like another episode of the podcast because I've been <laughs> I've been talking as someone at Whole Foods. The challenge there is another big question, and it really would be another conversation, is why isn't there just one certification? Why are there multiple certifications? And it's hard for the grocery stores. They, they need some kind of standardization. And right now there really isn't standardization across what a sustainability certification means. And, and to me, the difference is, I would say the biggest difference of these different programs is rigor. We're real, our goal is to set the highest bar for sustainability right. and climate action in the industry. And there are a lot of programs for better or worse, I would say worse, that have been designed to be more inclusive just come to the table. It's not that hard. Get no. started. And I, that was really valuable 20 years ago, but that's not the pace we can afford to go at at this point. And then providing the boots on the ground support. So in terms of the retail market, I mean, I do think like natural grocers are, are on the rise and yeah. increasing. And I there's interest from groups like Whole Foods and how do we better spot like this? But then the issue is there isn't a standardization across the, you know, the different six different U.S. Yeah, programs. So you want to be fair. Yeah. If 
if people it's are a challenge brian yeah. are you seeing uh, uh shelf tags that say organic now or anything i mean people proudly put them on the labels um yeah. or maybe they use little shelf talkers or whatever but but yeah. like you were saying there's some people that use organically farmed grapes but then they're not making organically certified wine or there's people that you know are farming organically but they're not certified. but they're not certified. not certified so there's a lot right. of um little gray areas yeah. in there and so as yeah. a buyer for one of those markets you really have to know who you're getting it from but and i what do have doing. to say there's evidence to show that when people share this story they put a necker on there they put the logo that easy cue you know you can put our logos on the bottle right uh people use that information those yeah. we've seen stories where someone put a necker on there telling a sustainability story and their sales went up 20 percent so yeah. people, we have to get better about telling these stories and then it will become more prolific. Um, in the do market. you guys have a specific website that features specific wineries that you are involved with? Well, so I'm going to throw two websites at you because you've now heard about risegreen.org. Mm -hmm. The other website is napagreen.org, mm -hmm. which is where you can learn all about Napa Green and that'll get you over to Rise as well. But on napagreen.org, we have a list of all of our participating members. Awesome. So you, you can see all of those. tour suggestions. And we right? do have itineraries. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. need to, up to update those because we did those a couple of years ago, but people loved those actually yeah. when we rolled them out in 2017. So we want to update those. So yeah, if you want to go to green wineries, you can easily find who's certified and get some recommendations the, that resource is great because um working with vegans i know that there's a there's a website called barnivore.com that you can go to where you know that the wines are, I like that are barnivore, I like that. barnivore that, that the wines are vegan and and people use it all the time yeah um so just to have that resource available yeah. for people that are interested and in going to these um places that are yeah. doing what they're supposed to be doing yeah because i have yeah. friends who call me from the grocery store and go what wine should i buy totally and we've got to <laughs> we've got to get better at helping them they're like this label's identify. so cool but i'm just not sure yeah we've got to get better at helping <laughs> cool. them find those yeah. wines <laughs> what percent of wineries are now certified in some way or fashion Oof. Well, that's a hard question. Um, I mean, I'm going to I'm just going to make that contest contentious statement that I don't consider like organic or biodynamic certification a sustainability certification because sustainability certification includes that social sustainability, includes that resource efficiency, includes climate action. Uh, I couldn't say for the for the whole U.S. There's a total of, of six sustainable wine growing certifications in the United States. Um, but I can say for us that we have about 30 percent of all of the brick and mortar wineries in Napa County certified. Uh, we completely we completely redeveloped our vineyard program in 2021. So we have people transitioning to a really next level program. But right now we have the first uh, 15 growers certified and then we have another 50 in transition. And that's over 16,000 vineyard acres wow, in Napa that's, County. That's amazing. And that's awesome. out of uh, how many? The total vineyard acre in Napa is about 45,000. Yeah. But for a brand new cutting edge vineyard yeah. program, uh, I think that's yeah, pretty great. That's outstanding. You've made incredible inroads. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's this excellent. has been awesome. And thank you for coming over on a on a, on a rainy day. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. It was beautiful We're yesterday. good. This has been great. This has been a fun conversation <laughs> and some great wine along the way. Thank you. And um, we'll see you starting next week. Yes, you'll see and, us at Rise, um, risegreen.org, yeah. folks. All right. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Any shout outs this week? I don't think so. I think this okay. is about the most important thing that we could do. Absolutely. Um, and so we'll just leave it with that. Anna, uh, anything else you want to say in terms of contact media information? Are you on IG? Uh, Facebook? Please do Instagram? find us on Instagram. We have an amazing social media manager. She's doing a great job. So Excellent. please do find Napa Rise on Instagram and, and Napa Green as well and, and follow what we're doing. And it's doing. just at Napa Green, Napa Rise. I should know that. I think so. I think you're going to have to look it up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's been such a pleasure. You know, every time we do this, uh, certainly my eyes are open because I'm not a farmer. Yeah. However, I'm very concerned. Um, you know, when we, when we had uh, Dr. Nicholas on, yeah. I took the... The uh, she had she said there's a quiz you can take that's basically you know how bad are you in, yeah. in, in, in your in your family yeah. and I I turned out a you know a, a bad guy <laughs> but, you know room but, for improvement absolutely yes. you know so that's why we're going to all of that's these events absolutely we're driving and, me and, we're gonna and, learn and all about I'm, yes. I'm there we're you're we're, gonna carpool it's just important absolutely yeah, yeah. 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 perfect.
Okay. Well, thank awesome. you so much. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you next week.